We have two children. The names are Sylvie and Josie, and um, that's a picture of us. As you can see, Josie's really thrilled to be there. <laughs> uh, I currently am a board member here at FirstNAS, and I've also, I also volunteer in several different ministry roles. Uh, fun fact for those of you that might have started attending in the last few years, I also used to be a youth pastor um, a, few, a few youth pastors ago. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Um, okay, so before going any further, I'd like to invite all of you to stand and to join me in this responsive reading taken from Isaiah chapter 40. So I'll be reading the portion that's in, in yellow font, and you can respond by reading the portion that's in white. All right, comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. The warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. The grass withers, <clears throat> the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, flower <coughs> Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The word of God. You may be seated. So my, my wife Carolyn and I were on a, a date night recently because my parents were in town. They offered to look after the kids and put them down to sleep for the night, which was great. So we went out to dinner. Dinner was fantastic. We got to our car got in, looked at the clock, and the time said 8 o'clock. And then we looked at each other and thought, oh, no. You see, our kids go down to sleep at around 8.30. And if we went back home now, we'd arrive right in the middle of their whole sleep time routine, and they'd want us to put them to bed, and that would be the end of our date night. And I wasn't ready for that. So... We decided to do something we'd sworn we'd never do again, which was to be spontaneous, to do something completely unplanned. Now, I know some of you are probably like, Shumal, what's the big deal? I do spontaneous things all the time. Well, good for you. We, we, we do not. I think we like the idea of being spontaneous a lot more than the actual practice of it, right? Because we, 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 did, we did try it once, also on a date night. Uh, before, before we had kids, we thought, well, it must be spontaneous. And so we ended up driving all around Calgary trying to find something to do. 
uh, everything we wanted to do was either closed or didn't exist. So we ended up going to Value Village. <laughs> so naturally, after that, we were like, well, not again. But you know what? Desperate times call for desperate measures, and so we decided to go see a movie. And not just any movie, but one that was part of the Calgary Underground Film Festival. And even played in one of those little independent film theaters that Calgary still has a couple of. Long story short, it was actually a really good movie. Film, I don't know. It was a good, really good film. It was a mockumentary that followed the life of this guy, Dunstan Bruce. Dunstan Bruce was the founder and lead singer of this band, which should come up on the screen, but my clicker is not working, as these things do. So I'm just going to do this. <laughs> there you go. All right, does anyone know who these guys are? <laughs> Mike does. Yeah, so these guys are called Shamba Wamba. And they had this huge hit single in the 90s that was part of my soundtrack growing up as a child of the 90s. And, you know, I was, it's supposed to play, but it's not. The, the audio is not working, so I'm just going to sing along with it. Because I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. I get knocked down. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's how it goes. You guys wanted me to rap last week, so there you go. <laughs> anyway, so this song, because I know lots of you are wondering what, what it's called. Well, it's called Tub Thumping. And... Given the somewhat silly song name and the ridiculous band name, I just kind of assumed that Chambawamba was one of your, you know, typical run-of-the-mill 90s pop bands, and that this song was talking about the after-effects of having imbibed too many fermented beverages. But it turns out that's not the case. Apparently, Chambawamba was this really politically radical British punk rock band, and this song is meant to be a mix of a motivational anthem and social commentary. So, go figure. And then the movie tracks Dunstan from Chambawamba as he's grappling with the fact that he and his band had tried for decades to, to make the world a better place. But the world stubbornly refused to become any better. And so he was really disillusioned and kind of hopeless and asking the question, what was the point of all of that? Are we all just beyond hope? And, and the thing is, I, I, can, I, can relate to, I can relate to that question and what Dunstan was grappling with, because you know, in the 20-plus in the, in the years since Tub Thumping swept the charts, uh, it feels like on a global scale there's just been a whole depressing litany of just terrible things happening, right? The rise of, of global terrorism and extremism, ever-increasing extreme weather events, the, the most intensive refugee crisis we've seen in, in noted history, the rise of the world's largest nuclear superpower invading a couple of countries, wars, genocides, a global pandemic, and right here in Canada, a massive spike in the rates of anxiety and depression. The list just kind of goes on, right? There seems to be lots of things to be really fearful of, and not too much cause for hope. And if I were a first-century Jewish person, I'd say, hey, hold my drink. Let me tell you something about depressing and hopeless. You see, Israel 
had started off with so much hope and, and, and potential, right? Like they had this fantastic backstory. They were called by the God of the universe to be his people, to, to be a blessing to all nations, to be the nation from which would arise one day this Messiah, like the Messiah who would deal with the core problem that lay at the heart of all humanity, which was sin. And yet, in the words of the prophet Isaiah, all the people and the leaders of Israel were a bunch of thieves, liars, murderers, and idolaters. Years went by, and they failed to fulfill their promise. They failed to, to, to live up to their potential. And so God's presence left the temple in Jerusalem, and as a result of him leaving, the, the nation of Israel went through this traumatic split where they broke off into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And then both kingdoms were ultimately taken into exile by pagan superpowers. And then, you know, centuries later, a few, you know, a little remnant returned to Jerusalem. They built the temple or they rebuilt it, but God's presence never came back. And so, you know, the years go by, and by the time, around, around the time that Jesus was born, there'd be multiple people who claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed to be able to, you know, make Jerusalem great again. And yet, they all failed. And so, disappointment in ourselves, in our communities, in our leaders, this is the sort of thing I think we can all relate to, right? And so, we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 40 um, and how hope is, is portrayed and engaged with in that chapter. But before we do so, I'd like to take a couple minutes and press pause and just talk a little bit about how to read or how to engage with Hebrew scripture as well. Oh, it's loud, sorry. So the, the, the writers of Hebrew scripture, what we know as the Old Testament, kind of assumed that everyone had, had sort of spent their lives marinating in and like really immersed in the Torah. The Torah being the first five books of, what we, of, of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so they used all these words, symbols, pictures, and images that connected to all these larger themes and storylines that were part of the Torah. Old Testament scholar and founder of the Bible Project, Dr. Tim Mackey, actually refers to these as an ancient form of hyperlinks that you could click on. And when you click on a bunch of these hyperlinks that all take you to this larger storyline, he refers to these as design patterns. So there's a couple different design patterns that we're going to look at here in Isaiah chapter 40. And these design patterns connect up, connect, sort of take the theme of hope and connect them to some specific things. Specifically, they connect to, to hope being grounded in God's character and hope being grounded in our purpose and partnership with God. All right, so let's look at that first design pattern, hope being grounded in God's character. If you just, we'll jump right into the first few verses of Isaiah chapter 40, right? So it begins, comfort. O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid. When you read that, you, you really get a sense of, of tenderness and compassion just really embedded and overflowing these passages, right? And if we read on, we see a lot more of that kind of language tied into that. Let's, let's keep reading, and I'm going to, in particular, zoom in to um, 
short, shortly, I will zoom into to, to, to verse 11. But if you look at this section as well, there's a sense of, well, compassion and the good news, the hopeful news that God's coming back. He's coming back to his people. And what's notable, what's, what's notable in its absence is any sort of sense that Israel has actually repented, that they've, that they've turned a corner, that they've turned away from the evil, whereas there really isn't any sense of that. This is entirely God's initiative, right? And so let's, let's zoom in again on verse 11 here that says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. Again, it's that very parental, motherly sort of language. And so for a first century Jewish person reading this, the hyperlinks would be very obvious because it's connecting up to this compassionate, gracious nature of God's character. And in particular, they would want to, to, to zoom in or, or click on and zoom out to, to, this, to this one key verse, a set of verses that are quoted quite a few times throughout Scripture. It's Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 to 7. This is where the Lord appears to Moses on Mount Sinai, and he, he reveals his character. He reveals who he is to Moses before giving him the Ten Commandments for the second time because he broke them the first time. And so in this, if you take a look at it, it says, you know, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty. So this is God's character, a God of compassion, grace, mercy, and justice. And so God revealed himself in Scripture, and his, his character stays constant all the way through. And then we get to the Gospels where the same God is then embodied, is in, incarnated in Jesus. And Jesus lives out all of these characteristics as well in the way he carries out his ministry in his death and finally his resurrection as well. So this is that first design pattern that connects up to hope. Our hope is grounded in the character of God, this God who doesn't change, who stays the same through the ages. And then moving on to, to, to our second theme here, which is that our hope is grounded in, in our purpose and partnership. So if you read on, particularly if you look at verses 21 to 28 of Isaiah chapter 40, we see all these, 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 these lines and these, these, these pictures and phrases that kind of provide hyperlinks to to, to the theme of God as a creator, like the creator God. And so, for, again, for a first century Jewish person reading this, they would click on it and immediately think of or, be, or go sort of in their minds to the creation stories in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So let's take a look at some of these, just a couple examples, some of these verses. So verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God? the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. The creator of the ends of the earth. And so, you know, you keep reading. So now you're primed to be thinking of, okay, so creation, God is the creator, God, Genesis. You keep reading Isaiah, and then you get to the end of Isaiah, and I'm going to jump to verse 31 here. Now, this is a verse that I've seen on lots of mugs and T-shirts and, and, and fridge magnets. It's very popular. So you've probably seen it as well, right? You go, so let's, it says, you know, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord, that word that's translated wait here literally means intense expectation. And the picture that it captures is, is like this, this rope that is stretched taut. And I also think of that line from, from the Christmas song, tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will find it hard to wait to sleep tonight. It's an intense sense of expectation where you're waiting for something, right? So you, what are you waiting for? Where you're waiting for your strength to be renewed. And, and the strength here is, is strength to actually accomplish something, to, to get something done. And then if you look at some, some of the other words that kind of follow, those action-oriented words, run, not be weary, walk, and not faint, they all capture this sense in the original language of, of being words that, that talk about perseverance, leaning into, pushing into, right? So those who, who have this intense expectation for God, he will give you strength to do something, with perseverance. And what is that something? Well, that something I propose to you based on this whole priming that we've had for creation and the Genesis story is our calling, our purpose, what we were created for. And so if you, now if you jump ahead to, or jump back to Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating, right? He's making order out of disorder. He's, he's taking what's formless and he's, he's, making it, he's making it into forms, something that is formed. He's making shalom, that's another word for it. And then he makes humans in his image. And part of what it means to be made in God's image is that we have the capacity to do the same thing, right? To make order out of disorder. To be shalom makers, if, if, you know, if I can call it that. And for example, we'll, we'll jump as well to, as a, just to take a look here, at Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15, it says, you know, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. Now, any of you who've done any sort of gardening or engaged in any kind of agricultural activity, you would know that tilling and keeping is very similar, in a sense, to making order out of some form of chaos, right? To forming out of formless. And so God calls the humans to join him not to do this by themselves. This is not something we're supposed to be kind of going ahead and forging ahead with. No, they're supposed to be doing this in partnership with God. And we see that theme again carrying all the way throughout Scripture until we get to the Gospels where Jesus does the same thing. You know, he calls these humans, his disciples to follow him, to be with him, to join him in his shalom-making, shalom-bringing work. And then he takes it to the next level in John chapters 14 to 16, where he says, you know, it's good for you that I should go to my Father, because I'm, I'm here with you in the flesh, but when I, when I go to my Father, I can send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, my God, the God's Spirit will dwell within you, and he will give you the strength and power to be able to do everything that I have done and more. So God dwelling within us, his Holy Spirit dwelling within us, desiring us to partner with him on an ongoing basis in the act of bringing shalom. I find that also very hopeful because we're not just kind of passively sitting around waiting. We are called to be partnering with God's Spirit to join him in that shalom-making work. So I recognize there was a bit of hopping around between scriptures. So I'm just going to give a really quick summary again, just so we're all on the same page. So our hope, as captured 
in Isaiah chapter 40 here is connected to God's character, that being that he's a God of compassion, mercy, grace, and justice, a God who doesn't change, and a God who is ultimately embodied in Jesus. And our hope is also connected to our calling, our purpose, which is to partner with God through his Holy Spirit to join with him in the act of bringing shalom, order out of disorder, in and around us. It's probably not, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to, 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 to say that we, that we live in a culture, in a society that, that, that seems to be saturated in a sense of fear. It's everywhere, right? And so I find it interesting, or instructive, that one of the most often repeated exhortations in the Bible is the phrase, fear not, right? And that phrase is actually the phrase that we, we see repeated multiple times in, in the events leading up to that first advent. Fear not. Right? Angels appear to, to Zachariah, to, to Joseph, to Mary, to the shepherds. And the first thing they say to them is, fear not. Fear not, why? Well, because I have good news for you. And the good news is Jesus. And I think that's instructive to us today as well, right? Because as humans, we tend to have a couple of different reactions to fear. Like it's called a fight or flight reaction. We either fight, we get really aggressive, and we lash out when we're fearful, or we flight, we run away. God calls us to something different. He says, trust in me, trust in my character, and wait. I will give you strength. Now I realize that this... This season, this season of Advent, is a joyful time for many of us. And if that's the case for you, then praise God. But it can also be a painful, trying time maybe for others of us. Maybe we're fearful about whether we'll have enough money to make that mortgage payment or to make that rent payment. Maybe we're worried about our health or the health of a loved one. We're grieving the loss of relationships, or we're stressed about those exams we have to write that we're not sure we're going to pass, or we just dread having to wake up the next morning with a sense of anxiety and just darkness that hangs on us all the time. And so I think into all of these feelings and situations, those words from that first advent echo across the ages and still you ring true today, right? Fear not, because Jesus. So, my prayer for us, for us all this season, is that we would experience biblical, this biblical hope that can wipe out fear, because it's a hope that is not dependent on the vagaries of fickle humans, but it's a hope that's grounded in the character of our God, who is merciful compassionate, gracious, and just. A God who doesn't change and a God who loves us. A God who came to live among us and a God who now dwells within us. And a God who gives us the strength 
when we get knocked down to get back up again. And when we get up, we could need to partner with him through his Holy Spirit in his ongoing work of bringing shalom, of bringing order to the chaos within us and around us. And so, I also pray that this season would be a season, an advent where we experience that, that it would be a season of fear not because Jesus.